Let me start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to hear from you. We want to um, jump into what you're doing today, and we ask that you would help us to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to start with what is probably the most emphatic commandment in all of Scripture. It's like a commandment that God just goes, bam, bam, like you've got to get this. And it's what we have been memorizing as a church for the last six weeks. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but it goes like this. This is a commandment of the Lord, remember. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Say it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. All right. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Come on. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay. Keep that playing in a loop in the back of your mind. Like, keep it, keep it going as we go. And, and this, is, this is God's commandment. And it's a commandment not for his benefit, but for your benefit. Like, this is, you want to be joyful, don't you? Like, this is, you're not on a different page from God on this one. Like, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And, and I think... If we're, if we're honest, we're like, yeah, I want some joy. I want to be joyful. And this is God's great desire for his children. To live lives that are overflowing with joy. And all of the commandments he gives us, all of the, the requirements that he puts out there are because He wants this joy for you. And it's not just him. We want you to rejoice as well. Like the people around you, the people who care about you, we all want you to be filled with joy. Like how many of you guys, if your roommate or your husband or your wife is filled with joy, then life is good. But how many of you guys, like, like you know, married couples, you, you guys know this experience. You come home from work, and your spouse, your husband or wife, is moody and ticked off, and just in a, in a mood, like, and you know what that means for you, right? And some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, you know that, yeah, um, it, it just brings down the, it, it puts a damper on the whole night when the person you're with is just cranky and grumpy. And so, so husbands and wives, like you want joy for the person that you're with, right? You want them to enjoy their lives. When you come home and they're just excited, they're filled with life and vitality, then like your, your whole mood goes up as well. Because joy is contagious. It, it catches from person to person. Kind of like COVID. <laughs> like, 
We, I think we, maybe we need a new pandemic, a pandemic of joy, a pandemic of peace, a pandemic of, of a contagious, outrageous joy that just catches from people to people. Don't, I, you probably want your family to test positive for that, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if this contagion just, just started rippling through our church of people with uncontrollable outbursts of joy and, and, and smiling and hugging and, and, and connecting with one another? Wouldn't that be amazing if joy just broke out in our church? Wouldn't it be amazing if, if, if joy started catching on from person to person and people recognize, like, you go hang out with them, you might get it. Because every time they open their mouth, joy just projects out from there. Couldn't we use a pandemic, a contagious catching from person to person of joy, of happiness, of feeling positive about life and the world like do we want that or not so please for God's sake for your sake for the people around you's sake pursue joy find joy keep joy hold on to joy defend that joy don't let it go we we got to get joy in order to fulfill what God wants for us. Now, I know a lot of us are thinking like, okay, reality check. Like, yeah, I want joy. But, hey, uh, life? Like, uh, come on, come on. Like, let's, let's get honest here. Uh, uh, just repeating a Bible verse over and over is not going to change a, a difficult, problematic life into this beautiful, happy, clappy Christian life. Like, let's get real. You know, people have been looking for happiness for thousands of years. The ancient Greeks, Aristotle, Cicero, uh, these guys were, were struggling with the human conundrum of happiness. We all want it. Very few of us ever find it. Like, why is that? Why is it that the very thing everyone acknowledges, yes, I want joy, I want happiness, I want a fulfilling life, and yet so many of us are not experiencing it. Like, what gives? I mean, we want, if there was a map to joy, like, like it, it, where X marks the spot and we could, we could just follow the map and get there, like we'd, we'd be on board with that, right? Like it's, it's like the, the holy grail of our, of our spiritual life. Like I wish I could find joy, but there's no map. Well, I kind of think Paul provides a map to joy in Philippians 4. X marks the spot. Like, he gives us the way to find the joy that we're all looking for. 
Paul tells us where true happiness is found. So open your Bibles or Bible apps to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And Paul is going to start with the source. He's going to show us that the true source of joy is not a where and not a what, but a who. The true, the, the actual source, infinite source of infinite joy is the Lord. Now, most of the time when Paul uses that phrase, the Lord, like ta kurios, the, the Greek word, it, he's, he's talking about this, this layered reality of the Lord, like God who created the universe, and also layered on top of that is the person of Jesus Christ who was God come to earth, and so the Lord is Jesus, and the Lord is God, and this layered reality of the Lord, that's the relationship, that's your, your target, that's your crosshairs in which when you pursue him, that's where true joy is. Let's read Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Paul is saying that joy is found always, anytime, always available in the Lord. In this relationship with the God who created you, who came to earth, put on flesh in the person of Christ, he is always within reach, always at hand. That phrase at hand is the idea that he's always reachable. You can all, he's right there with you and he's accessible anytime that you reach out to him. He's there. The Lord is at hand. So Paul's map to joy starts with this truth. That true joy is found in the accessible God revealed in Christ. True joy, the, the happiness, the fulfillment that we're all looking for comes through this relationship with the one who created you and who came to give you life. Now, the problem is most of us misidentify what the source of true joy is. Most of us think that joy comes through the sum of pleasures. Like if I just add up enough pleasures in life, then I will find my life is happy. And that's the map most of the people in our world are following. Like if I just get enough shopping and enough video games and, and uh, you know, I eat some really good meals and, I mean, all of these different pleasures. If it's like this addition, like I just got to add up enough of them and at some point I cross the line and get into the joy and happiness 
<clears throat> that we're all looking for. And Paul says, that's absolutely wrong. That map will lead to misery. Because of a very simple and profound and irritating part, uh, feature of reality, and that is the law of diminishing returns. Now, some of you know what that is. What the law of diminishing returns is, is like, you're, say you're, you're, you're depressed and you're bored and you're really frustrated because your car is always breaking down and you're just like, you're always spending money on it and so you're just like, ah, I need to buy a new car. And immediately as you think that, you're, you're, you get a little jolt of pleasure, like the thought of owning a new car. Hmm, that's kind of nice. I feel good about that. You walk into the dealership, and all of a sudden, you get this more jolt of pleasure. Like you, you see, you lay eyes on your dream car, and it's sitting there just flawless and shiny and perfect. And you're like, all of a sudden, your heart starts racing. The pleasure is rising. And you're like, that thing, that could be the thing that pushes me up above the line into true, lasting joy. And so you go on your test ride. You feel the, the rumble of the, the engine under the hood. And you're like, ooh, the pleasure goes up more. You, you feel the leather seats. And you're like, ooh. And then you, 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 you come back from your test drive. You're, you're reversing into the parking, the parking uh, uh, space. And then all of a sudden, this screen pops up with a camera that's showing you where to park. And you're like, wow. This is... And so you're just like intoxicated with pleasure at this idea like, wow, this thing is the best thing in the world. And you look at you look at the price tag and you're like, okay, that's, whoo, that's a lot, but, but I mean, I can stretch it out over five years and, you know, pay $400 a month and maybe I can make, and, but look what I get. I get joy incarnate <laughs> in chrome and leather. Like, this is the thing that will make my life complete. And you pay that amount and you drive that thing off of the lot and you're just sky high with pleasure. You're like, this thing is the bomb. Like, I am, I am living the life that I've always dreamed. And you don't go straight home. You, you kind of take a ride through your neighborhood. The, the sky looks bluer. You hear the birds chirping in the trees. And you're just like... Oh yeah, I've arrived for about two weeks. And after a couple of weeks and the new car smell sort of kind of starts dissipating. And when you go out to your garage and you see it in your driveway, that, that jolt of like, oh yeah, that's awesome. It kind of gets less and less every time. And the pleasure of owning that beautiful car 
eventually, probably within five months, I'm guessing, for most of us, it gets back to what you were before. And now that shiny new car is a not-so-new car. And you spill potato chips on the seat and it gets little oil stains on it. And somebody dings your car at Walmart. And, and all of these things ha happen and it's pretty soon that amazing pleasure of owning the car of your dreams turns into the blah experience of a blah life. And you're back to square one, but now you got a ton of debt on top of it. <laughs> like you thought you were paying a lot before. Now you've got this constant, every month you've got this bill. And that is what happens every time we are looking for joy in pleasure rather than in a person. Joy comes not through the accumulation of pleasures, but through connection with persons. And you can get real, true joy through good friends, family, people who care about you, who, who connect with you, who, who understand you. That's a source of joy, but it's very limited. Like that little bit of joy that we can get from one another is, is a nice reminder of what we're looking for. Because we will have experiences of being really known and understood by others. And then we'll have a lot of times where they just don't get us. And where they're dealing with their own stuff. And where they don't have time for us. And so relying on people to supply our joy is like relying on a tiny little sippy cup every, every day for your needs of your, of your body to, to, for thirst. It's like you are thirsting for joy and what we can get from others is a little sippy cup. There is a person who has infinite resources, who is always listening for you, who understands you better than you understand yourself, who always wants to connect with you every second of every day. There is a person who is available and accessible at every moment. And that is the person that is our source of infinite, constant joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. So the true source of joy, of infinite joy that is available to you, is not through seeking out pleasures like the rest of the world is doing. It's through seeking out relationship with the one person 
who can fulfill that need. Um, let's move on. Uh, so that's our source. Paul's map puts the X. The true source of joy is found in the person of Christ. The second part of the map, number two, true joy is found in a peace-filled mind. Peace. Let's look at verse 7. And the peace of God, pizza God, pizza, peace of God. Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says there is a peace available to you that defies explanation. And if you want this life bursting with joy, it's got to be built in a heart that is filled with peace. There's this very close, essential connection between peace and joy and God. I mean, peace is basically that rest you feel when you don't have to strive to get what's good. You've already got it. Peace is that settledness of knowing I've already got the good that I'm searching for. And when you're in that place, then experiencing joy, joy is that enjoyment, that, ex that delight in the good that you have. But if you don't have this foundation of, I've already got all the good I need, and I'm going to be able to just enjoy it. So joy is, is the structure you build on a foundation of peace, of, of I've already got the good. And of course, God is the infinite good. God is the source of all other goods. And God is the one who will make sure that everything turns out for the good. There's a um, 14th century uh, Christian writer named Julian of Norwich who lived through the worst period in history, the, the, the Black Death, the, a, a, a pandemic that makes COVID look like a common cold. Like it's, it killed one-third of the population of the world. Like people just dropping like flies. And Julian of Norwich had a vision from God and she she heard from God this phrase, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and every manner of thing shall be well. And she built her life on that phrase. That is the place of peace. When we are convinced that no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in society, no matter what's happening around us in our lives, that all shall be well. All shall be well. And every manner of thing shall be well. That is a peace-filled mind. We're going to talk more about that um, next week when we look at the, uh, Paul's teaching on contentment. But... Um, 
Paul's map to joy starts with, here's the external source of, of joy is a relationship with Christ. Here's the internal atmosphere of joy, which is a peace-filled mind. And now, Paul is going to tell us, how do we cultivate this peace-filled mind in the midst of life, in the midst of all of the things that we're going through? And the first step he's going to show us is how to manage our emotions in a way that cultivates peace. How do we manage our emotions in a way that cultivates peace? Because I don't know about you, but emotions can often feel like this volcanic eruption, this, this volatile part of our lives that is constantly, constantly obstructing my sense of peace. And Paul, Paul is saying, um, you want a peace-filled mind? Um, here's how to deal with your emotions. Because uh, here's, here's, here's what happens. We wake up in the morning and immediately the emotions kick in, the stress. Like you remember that you were supposed to have contacted a client yesterday and you forgot and they're probably mad at you so you're like trying to figure out, okay, I gotta make sure I do that as soon as I get into work. And then next you walk out and your roommate is throwing a tantrum about who left the dishes in the dish in the sink without washing them and it's just like more noise and so you you rush out the door and you forget that you didn't put on half your makeup and then you're you're in the car and you're you're like oh gosh uh there's no gas in here i gotta stop by the gas station which is gonna add on an extra 10 minutes or more so you're gonna be that much later and so you go and it's just like one thing after another, you're, you're just going for, and then you get back on the freeway and there's an accident and you're like, ah, oh, come on. <sighs> Rejoice in the Lord always, is that gonna help? Like what, what gives here? Um, you have a, this life that's been filled with stressful examples of, of reality that you've gotta figure out a way to deal with. And it's like, it's like the, the, the Coke bottle when you drop a mento into it. You guys have seen that? Any of you went to college? Like, uh, I remember in college, the, uh, there was a guy who loved to just experiment, maybe is the right word, with, with the, what happens when you drop a mento in a Coke bottle. And so he would drop in a couple and it'd be like a kind of a garden fountain kind of a feel, and then he'd drop like 20 of them in, and it'd be like this massive gooey geyser that just flies up 30 feet, and, and then sometimes he would, he would drop it in and he'd screw the cap on real tight and just like let it go, and it becomes like this bomb that's ready to go off, and most of the time it would just blow the cap off anyway and, and fly off, and it would just be a much messier eruption. But sometimes that thing would like explode everywhere, like this fireball of fizzy coke. And it was just, it, I mean, I, I'm thankful I didn't get hurt in all of that. Like, that was, that was dangerous. Um, but a lot of times that's what these, you know, you're going through life and, 
and something wrong happens, it drops in a mento, and then something else wrong goes on, and it drops in another one, and soon you've just got this whole eruptive thing in you, and you're like, what do I do with this? We've got to find a way to deal with this. You know, a few generations ago, maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents were taught that emotions were irrelevant or dangerous. So they were taught to stuff it, put a cap on it. You're angry, but it's just like, I'm not angry. <laughs> stuff it down and hope that it goes away. Maybe not the healthiest way to deal with it. And the last couple generations have kind of gone to the opposite extreme. It's like, just explode everywhere. Like, like you know, you're, you're angry about something, you explode all over your roommate. You explode all over social media. You just, you know, whatever, you're, you're mad about something, just let it out. That might not be the healthiest thing either. What do we do with it? Paul gives us a third way. Paul gives us another option for dealing with our volcanic, volatile emotions. Let's look at what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying when we have this emotional anxieties, frustrations, anger direct that to the one person who can handle it. Give your anger, your rage, your anxiety to the one person who's sitting there saying, I want to know more about you. I want to hear from you what you're experiencing. I want to be a part of this experience that's very, very difficult for you. I want to be part of this. And he's sitting there waiting for you to give him all of your cares, all of your frustrations, all of your disappointments, and most of the time, we're like, mm, I'm not angry. When we turn our stresses into prayer, that becomes a place of intimacy. That becomes a place of connection rather than a place of loneliness and brokenness and just falling apart. So when you're in traffic and you're just fuming and you're like, this has been like the worst morning and turn that energy, that emotional outburst, turn it to God and tell him, God, this is, I, I, I'm just 
look what's going to happen. I mean, I tell him all of your angers about you, how you're so frustrated with your roommate about the way they're acting. Tell him about all of your fears, how you, you're just so scared that you're going to get to work and it's going to be the last straw and your manager's going to come in and he's going to tell you to find another job and he's going to tell you how much you suck, which will give you just more reason to believe what your mom said that you'll never amount to anything and you'll just, you know, you're, you're trying so hard to prove to everyone that you're worth something. And God is there. He's at hand and he's saying, peace be with you. I'm here and you are worth something to me. And I don't care if any, everyone else rejects you, I will be there for you. Let my peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Process those emotions with God and those insecurities turn to intimacy. That's how we process our emotions with God in a way that gives us a peace-filled mind. Now, we don't stop there because it's not just our emotions, it's also our thought life, it's also our actions. So how do we preserve this peace-filled mind in our thoughts and in our actions? Let's move on to see what Paul says about maintaining a peace-filled mind in our thoughts. Verse 8. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Paul is saying, fill your mind with healthy thoughts. Fill your mind with thoughts that are true, that are honorable, that are pure, that are lovely. That, I mean, let your thought life become a place that supports your, your peaceful living rather than something that, that tears it apart. Um, I read about a guy who was a DIY fanatic. You know, do it yourself. He learned plumbing. He learned electricianing. He learned construction. And he built his own house. And he was so proud of himself. He, he hooks up the electricity. He, looks up, he hooks up the plumbing. And everything seems good. But then when he, when he goes and, and turns on the faucet or turns on the shower, he notices the, the water kind of smells a little funny, like not quite the way it should. And, he, and so he's like, mm. And then he notices that sometimes when he turns on the faucet, it, it comes out a little bit murky and cloudy. And it's like, doesn't quite look right. So he, start, he, he's, he starts investigating and he goes, he's like, maybe I, maybe I left some, some, some debris or gunk in the pipe. So he goes and looks at the pipe, it it's, looks fine. And so he's still, he's trying to figure out what happened. And finally he figures out that instead of hooking up his pipe to the 
clean, pure, drinkable water that the city provides. He had hooked it up to the reclaimed sewage line. And so as he was taking a shower, he was basically showering in sewage. As he was washing his dishes, he was washing them in sewage, which probably made them dirtier than before he washed them. I mean, whenever it was, his tap water was actually crap water. <clears throat> and so he, every time he turned on the water, it was crap water that came out. And so that is a good lesson to learn that you want to be careful what you're hooked up to. And as we think about filling our minds with healthy thoughts, think about your social media habits. Because when you're on social media, you're hooking up this pipe from other people's thoughts and ideas straight into your thoughts and ideas. And are you filling your mind with things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are pure and lovely and commendable? Or are you getting a whole dose of crap water from your social media feed? You know, it's, it's, it's scary what, what you get from social media if you're not careful. I mean, you probably have seen friends, family members even, who at some point was hooked up to the social media feed and it just like polluted their lives, like their mind, and made them into, you know, someone you barely recognize. Like what is going on in that mind that makes them just spew out all of that crap? And we have to be careful because Facebook is not out to form you into a godly, peaceful person. They're out to make money off of you. And in that, they've realized that one of the ways to keep your attention is to raise your anxiety level. And that is exactly the opposite of what God wants for us. So you're you know, going before God and I want to connect with you, I want to be close to you and bring me peace and bring me joy. And then we're going on social media and reversing so much of that. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying get off of social media. I'm not saying that, you know, we need to all hide out in a cave somewhere. You know, go on social media. Just know that it's your responsibility to filter out what is good and what is bad. It's not Facebook's responsibility to take care of your thought life. It's your responsibility. And Paul says, if it's true, if it's noble, if it's pure, if it's commendable, if it's lovely, I mean, and it doesn't have to be all, you know, Bible verses and Christian things. Anything that is, is a honorable and, and virtuous and, and anything that's, that's beautiful and good, you know, yeah, receive it. But know how to turn off the, that faucet when it's getting not so good. 
because we're responsible for maintaining a peace-filled mind in order to live out the joy that God wants for us. Okay, so we've looked at our emotions being processed in a way that's consistent with a peace-filled mind. We've looked at our thoughts being processed in a way that's consistent with a peace-filled mind. And now we need to work on our physical actions. In verse 8, Paul gives us Paul gave us a whole checklist of things to check on with your thought life. In verse 9, he gives us another list of things to practice, um, or at least a place to find what to practice. And this is what he says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And... The God of peace will be with you. So, you know, last week Paul talked about recognizing in your spiritual community there are people who are worth imitating, people who are worth following their example. And he continues that here, and he says, there are people who if you follow their lives, including Paul himself, you will find that that lifestyle, those actions, those practices produce peace and bring you into connection with the God of peace. Now, um, we, we overestimate the learning power of our mind and underestimate the learning of our bodies. You know, most of what you do every day is controlled by muscle memory, not by your thinking things through. When you were driving to church today, how many times did you apply the brakes? I'm pretty sure none of us remember that because our mind was not part of that. It was something our muscle memory was doing without ever thinking about it. I mean, I honestly, standing here, can't even remember whether the brakes are on the right side or the left side. But my foot knows. My foot never makes that mistake. And our bodies are able to incarnate intentions through practice. If you want to become a great free throw shooter, which I'll just be honest, I'm not. If you want to become a great free throw shooter, you don't just think about what it is to shoot a great free throw. You have to get out there and practice over and over and over and over again until your body is doing it without your mind ever getting involved. And we need to learn how to practice habits, healthy habits that we've learned from healthy people. One of the habits I've learned from one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, is the practice of solitude and silence. For me, this is key to experiencing peace. This is a, all, all you have to do is sit still in your chair and breathe. That's all you do. Could do it right now. Sit still. 
might even close your eyes. Just breathe. And just let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is a practice I love to do as often as I can. I'll take my beach chair and I'll go sit at a park under a tree. I'll sit there for hours and just breathe. And eventually my soul slows down long enough to recognize, you know what? The Lord is at hand. God is here, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, is here. And you know what's really amazing? Is that when my soul is at peace and surrounded by the presence of God, then I start to really enjoy the simple pleasures of life, like the feel of grass between my toes, the, the, the gentle music of the, the wind in the trees. Didn't notice it before until I came to a place of peace. Begin to experience the, the, the warmth of the sun kissing my face. Simple pleasures, because from that place of peace, from that place of being with Christ, now pleasures become holy. Now they become things that actually contribute to joy rather than distracting from it. Can I have the worship team come forward? This morning, God is inviting you to a place of peace, of stillness with him, a place of rest in his presence. And I just want to invite you to go there with him. Meaning, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you know, make some big decision or action just be with Christ and let him minister to you. Maybe you need healing and you're just going to open yourself up and say, God, you see what I'm going through. Maybe you need to process something with him and you just open yourself up and say, God, you know what I'm feeling. Maybe you just need to listen. And see if God calls you to step out and do something else. Who knows? Or maybe you just need to hear his whisper. Be still and know that I am God. Lord God, we invite you into our open hearts right now. Lord, give us the peace that we need where we need it. 
Help us to cooperate with your work as you seek to give us peace and joy and all of those good things. We open ourselves to you and we say, come. In Jesus' name, amen.